Have you ever read the book of Nehemiah? Now, if you're thinking to yourself, is that actually a book in the Bible? You should stick around for today's episode. Welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegriff, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. Today, I am joined by Kent Evans. He is the co-founder of Manhood Journey. He's also the author of the book, Bring Your Hammer. And in this book, he talks about 28 tools that dads can get from the book of Nehemiah. We're talking about that today. If you're a dad who wants to embrace your God-given mission, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also get more content on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you want even more than that, then head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com. Well, Kent, thank you so much for being with me. I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Man, Anthony, what a blessing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I am looking forward to our discussion, learning more about your book. I'm looking forward to your insights on fatherhood. I know this is going to be a great chat, but before we get into all the good stuff, let's talk a little bit about you. You are the co-founder of an organization called Manhood Journey. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, we exist to help dads become disciple makers. We're kind of keenly focused on fathers who want to disciple their children in Christ. And what we the, the tools we provide to do that are ebooks and digital courses and Bible studies and things like that. And we've been doing it about 10 years and love what we're doing and love to bump into guys like you who are on the same kind of journey. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that what you're trying to do is actually the mission a fatherhood. That's the mission that I always give when I talk about it on the podcast or when I talk about the dads in general. I just had a conversation just the other night at Chick-fil-A consuming the Lord's chicken. And um, the mission that I always tell everybody is that fatherhood is about equipping and discipling our kids to be a part of God's mission in a greater capacity than ourselves. So to be a disciple maker, I mean, that is what we are called to do as dads. We're instructed, we're commanded to bring up our children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So I love that you're doing that, that you're trying to aid fathers in that journey and share that same passion with you. So you said you've been doing it for about 10 years now. Can you tell me what inspired Manhood Journey? Mm. Why did it start? Yeah, there was a group of guys at our church and we have a relatively large church. The only reason I mentioned the size of it is because they all sat around and said, man, with a church our size, we should do more stuff for fathers and sons. And that's kind of how right. it started. And there was uh, my brother-in-law, a few other guys who were just like uh, lay people. You know, we were volunteers and we sat around and said, what would we do? And so we came up with three or four kind of ideas, barbecue this and this training and that retreat and all that. And there were a few of us who said, man, we need to do some uh, Bible studies that dads could do with their sons. And there were three of us, one who had written books uh, with B&H, uh, one who was a, a middle school educator, and then me, I'm a kind of a marketing business guy. We could all write. We knew our way around the English language halfway, right? And so we had enough theology to be dangerous. And so we created, <laughs> we literally created a, a Bible study for dads to do with their sons. We tested it in some homes, and the feedback was vociferously positive uh, from nine-year-olds to 19-year-olds to 49-year-old dads. So we were like, ah, so we scratched our chin and we built five more. And then we, you know, you fast forward to today, 10 years later, we've had, uh, we've had at least a million dads go through some piece of content around the world. Wow. Um, and so, bro, that's not because we're so smart and we had some grand plan. It's because we just started picking up one breadcrumb at the time and it kind of led us to where we are now. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful, man. That's an incredible story. And 
it's just always remarkable to see what can happen over time. And you've been doing this for 10 years. I've been doing my podcast for just over two, but still, I think it's neat. Every time I go and I look at the analytics and I see followers or I see downloads, it's just neat to see that people are being reached. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and I, I love that. I'm not the only one doing this. I didn't start this because I thought I would be the only one doing this. I love that there's other people out there because this has to be a community effort. I don't have yeah. a story that reaches to every father. Mm. I, I, I just don't. I, I had someone on my podcast just recently who is divorced and he's co-parenting and he's trying to help dads who have mm. gone through the same thing, manage the same thing. I'm not in that situation. I can't speak to that lifestyle, but if we work collectively, we can all help one another and we can all help be helped by one another. And so, uh, grateful for what you're doing, grateful for the resources that you have available. I'll give you an opportunity to talk more about that at the end, just so everyone can access what you have available. Um, now I noticed that you, you made your Bible studies and you were specific that it was with their, with fathers and their sons. Now you, if I understand correctly, you have five boys of your own, right? Correct. Yeah. We, uh, no girls in the mix, one daughter-in-law. So we have now, uh, you know, by marriage, we now have, we started to bolt on daughters one, one at a time. (laughs) Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, out of my five boys, we are one for one in terms of a really cool daughter-in-law. So uh, (laughs) that's a shout out to boys, number two, three, four, and five. Y'all better not screw this up because we're already (laughs) on a good roll with good daughters-in-law. So don't blow it. Um, but yeah, so we have five sons. Their, their oldest is 24 out of college, you know, starting his life as a, as an adult, so to speak one in yep. college, two in college, actually, and then two younger still in the home. Okay. Very cool. And you and your wife have been married for 28 years, 28, wow. 28 and a half. Wow. 28 and, and six tenths. No, I don't yep. uh, yep. <laughs> but yeah, we've been a little over 28 years. Uh, we dated for five years. So we've been together more. more we, we hit a mark not long ago where we've been together more than half of our lives, uh, yeah. you know, in terms of the total number. Yeah. Well, I just turned 33. So you've been together basically from the time uh, I was born. So, <laughs> Golly, so congratulations a lot, to you. man. As if I didn't already feel old, Anthony. Gee whiz. Right. Yeah. It's uh, usually the comparison that usually makes numbers really kind of hit home or mm, like, oh, wow, great. you weren't even born. <laughs> yeah. So remember when you were five, you would have yeah. come to our wedding and been like the flower boy or something. That, like you'd have been that, the dude, the ring bearer. You'd have been, been the ring bearer. The precious moment of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I missed out on that. <laughs> Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, you recently, I say recently, was it 2022 that you wrote your last book? Yeah. 2022. So I'm still going to call that fairly recent. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Usually that stuff feels like it, it, it lingers for a little while. Um, so you wrote a book called bring your hammer and this is about 28 tools that dads can grab from the book of Nehemiah. What was it? Now, I know you co-authored this with with a buddy of yours, but what was it that inspired you to write the book? Was it reading through mm. Nehemiah? What exactly was it for you? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like I remember reading a book years ago. Uh, I think it was Mark Batterson in one of his books. He talked about the reticular activating system in your brain where you start to notice things that you maybe didn't notice before. So like if you go drive a red car all of a sudden, then you see red cars everywhere. They were always there. You just started noticing them because your brain, you flipped a switch in your brain because I've been doing fatherhood stuff for the last 10 or 15 years in terms of a a day job. um, 
I see fatherhood under every rock. You know, it's like yeah. fatherhood behind every tree. Every yep. movie we watch is like, oh, look, there's fatherhood. There's adoption. You know, the things that you do in your life, you start to see them more. Um, they come out at you almost in relief. And so that was the experience I had with the book of Nehemiah. I, I've read the book of Nehemiah, I don't know, 10 or 20 times in my life. And one time, though, about five or six years ago, I was reading through Nehemiah. And I think it's just because I have this fatherhood hat on. Sure. I just kept seeing lessons like, oh, man, that's a that's a direct idea for a dad. And I just kept going down this. And I think the first time I read through it, this is six years ago or so, I came up with about 40 some odd lessons. Um, wow. But some were overlapping and some were super similar. So when I started to formulate the book and I called Eric and asked if he wanted to help me write parts of it, um, we got it down to a, a more manageable number of 28 lessons that are pretty discreet. But yeah, it was just reading through the book of Nehemiah and felt like the fatherhood lessons were jumping out and attacking me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a wonderful thing. Kind of like what you just alluded to just, being a dad in general, I think for me, has been huge for the way that I relate to God, I think of God, and the way that I read the Bible. I remember specifically, I talk about this story a lot just because it was so impactful to me after becoming a dad, but the story of, we call it the story of the prodigal son, and I don't think it's actually about the prodigal son, uh, but that I didn't get that understanding until after, when I became a father. You can read through that and if you take it all the way to Luke 15 at the very beginning, what you'll find is that these people who thought they deserved the attention of Jesus were trying to figure out why is it that he sits and eats with these people. And so Jesus <laughs> begins to speak to them while speaking to the crowd. But he answers their question by opening up his identity. So he speaks of himself as the shepherd who will go and find the one sheep that's lost as the woman who will clean the house. Mm. The father is the main character of that parable. It's really not about the prodigal son, very important, but it's about that father who waits and who watches and who has this quick, wonderful act of grace. And so I, I, I love that while focusing on fatherhood, while being a dad yourself, that you two are having this experience where you read the book of Nehemiah and you just think to yourself, dad lesson, dad tip, every dad <laughs> right. needs to know this. This is incredible. Right. I've totally missed this before. Um, so I'm grateful that you have gone through that, put in study. Uh, obviously, for the last five or six years, you've kind of meditated on this. And that's usually how these things are birthed. You kind of sit on them for a while and think about them. And then eventually they can kind of come to fruition. So you've written this book bring your hammer and you give 28 tips. Now, I don't want you to give all 28 tips away today, but what I'd like to do is kind of go through a few chapters of the book. I'm going to let everyone know what the title of that chapter is. And then I'm going to toss it your way so that we can get some insight from the author. And then we'll discuss each of these points as we go along. Is that fun? Sound fair? That sounds like a blast. Let's do it. Here we go. Let's do it. All right. So let's start here with chapter two. I thought this was a, a great tip. Chapter two. Pray for guidance and wisdom. Elaborate on that for us. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, and his brother comes to visit. That's how Nehemiah starts. And his brother says, hey, Nehemiah says, hey, how are things back home? And his brother says, pretty bad, pretty bad. And he gives him a rundown. And um, what, the, what I like to tell dads is, uh, and remind myself, right? You like to say you're not a perfect dad, but you're getting better every day. Yep. Same here, right? Um, I'm, I'm in that same boat with all you guys, same guy listening, you, me, Anthony, everybody. Um, 
Nehemiah, instead of having a knee jerk reaction to how to solve the problem, he goes to God and he confesses and prays for wisdom. And so mm. for us as dads, you know, if, if I'm, a, if a dad's listening to this right now, I would love for you to pause for a second and ask yourself, when's the last time one of your children brought you a problem? <laughs> and I'll bet you it's not that long ago. Like it, yep. you may, it might be happening right this second while you're listening <laughs> to this and you're out trying to cut the grass Shut and up, your kid, kid just fell out of the tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's going to happen to us all the time. And you know, if, if your kid needs a drink of water, you don't need to say, dear Lord of the harvest, would yeah. you please bring water from our, <laughs> you know, faucet. Uh, but I, I think that the bigger the problem, the more um, we need God's wisdom in order how to solve that problem. And the problem yeah. with a guy in like my shoes, right? My boys are 24 down to eight. I'm starting to run out of brand new fatherhood experiences, you know, with like my eight or 12 year old, they're doing a lot of the same things that my 24 and 21 and 19 year old did. And sometimes you can start to parent out of reaction, your own knowledge and your own past. And man, that may not be the best way to parent. And so I just love to pull out of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a lot of resources at his disposal, um, where he sat, who he knew, what he could do, what he had access to. And instead of just availing him of those resources immediately and trying to solve the problem, he prayed for guidance and wisdom. Uh, and if he's going to do that, so much more so should the rest of us. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful piece of advice, just in the context that you placed it in. As men in general, we are problem fixers. It doesn't matter if it's our child, if it's our wife, if it's just some person on the street that we overhear their problem. We're going to chime in with the solution because we think <laughs> we can fix it right then and right there. That's just kind of how we work. Man. And so I, I think that that's such good advice not to always rely on yourself. One of the things that I like to say specifically within the context of fatherhood is that it's not our job to define the path for our children. We're not supposed to answer every little thing for them because the Bible says that it's not even in us to direct our own path. I think as fathers, what we're supposed to be doing in discipling our kids is pointing them in the right direction, pointing them in the direction of God. And then God is the one who will take them and order their steps. He will be the one to define the path. And so that's his role. So in the role of fathers, it's not necessarily to be ultimate problem solver. God works mm. through us and God yeah. uses us, but we have to understand what God is trying to help us do with our kids. I think that's just such good advice just to pray because prayer in general is one of those things that we need to be mindful of. It's really easy for us to get stuck in the habit of life is good. I don't necessarily need God. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's just when tragedy befalls us that we think, hey, God, and we treat mm. him like a genie in the, in the lamp. And, and, and that's not the way that we ought to function. So I, I, love, I love the encouragement and I love the advice, mm. the tip to pray for guidance and to pray for wisdom. And like you talked about with your kids, you've got five boys. So it's not like you know, it's one thing. I can say it's one thing to father a son and it's another thing to father a a daughter. But the other thing that I have learned is that every kid is different. My firstborn was born into a totally different context and environment than the other ones. My daughter, Reagan, in the middle, she was born with an older sibling. She wasn't the only one. She didn't get all the focused attention. 
And now she's sandwiched in the middle. And so we have the oldest who is more capable and often gets to assist more with bigger things. And we have the youngest who has to get more of the attention because she's the youngest. She doesn't know as much. And so we have the middle child. And this is why you have the middle child syndrome that always comes up. I'm, I'm curious to know, have you found that catching yourself in autopilot like you talked about in dealing with your boys, that the way that you fathered, let's say, son number one, just did not work for son number four, son number five. Uh, yeah, for sure. And um, it's interesting because I would say that um, e- there are some common principles, obviously, sure. where you you want to leverage, like for example, uh, I'm I'm very uh, aware of the fact that I am trying to raise godly men. I'm not raising boys. I'm not raising children. Yeah. Like they are that for a season. But my objective is to get them to a place where they can make godly wise choices without me. And so knowing that, knowing that that's what I want to have happen, you're parenting toward that objective. Well, that's the same objective for all five of my boys. There's no difference. However, the method of getting there is very different. I have a couple mm. of my boys who respond to a quiet correction that is just, Hey man, we got to stop doing that. Okay. And that's all you got to tell them. And they're like, got it. And then the others, I would say you got to hit them over the head like 10 times. I don't mean actually hit them over the head. I'm I'm not advocating child abuse, but I'm saying like, they just require more. They're more forceful. They're more, they're more forces of nature and you got to push them a little harder. And so I, I have found that like, I'm, I'm really I'm good at the second thing. Like I'm good at coming at you directly and just saying, Hey man, here's this, here's the straight story. And I, and I can be more angry than I want to be. I can be louder than I mean to be. And so that's not a very way. It's not a very healthy um, tool set with children who, t- who can take a quiet rebuke. I have a couple of my kids I'm thinking of it specifically. You can just literally almost look at them and go, Hey, knock it off. Yeah. And they're like, okay, I got other kids who are like, if I were to say that, it'd be like one drop of rain in the ocean. They wouldn't even matter. They wouldn't even notice that I said it. I got to be like, hey, waving my arms and getting their attention. And I think that's where for us as dads, uh, what what comes into play there, kind of connecting back to our topic of talking about how Nehemiah handled it. We've got to have godly wisdom in parenting. It's not just a set of steps and a basket of rules and a process. This is not a vending machine. You don't put five dollars right. of you know God in, and you you know the, the child Coca Cola comes out the bottom. It's not how it works. That's right. Yeah, and specifically just with being a dad, there's not a manual on how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and if 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 someone advocates for one, it's it's a lie because there's just not. It, there's too many factors that go into the family. Kids are born at different times. Kids have different personalities. Home environments are different. So many factors create so many distinctions and differences. And so it is up to each father to determine with each kid in each season of life, yeah. how, how do I become the dad that they need me to be? How do I best disciple them through this season? Yeah. And because of that, this is why I that's why I wanted to bring up this chapter of the book. It is just imperative that we pray for God to give us guidance and wisdom because we can't do that in and of ourselves. No mm. way. Right. 
man, for sure. And, and, and the astute Bible observer will notice that Nehemiah wasn't a dad. As far as we know, there's no record of him actually being a father. He might've been, we just, it's not included in the story. Um, and the reason we felt like that book and that example and that these stories are still applicable to dads connects back to what you were just saying, Anthony, and that is to be a father is to be like God. And I don't mean that in like some kind of egotistical way. What I mean is we are, uh, Jesus said 160 plus times, my father, my father, my father, my father. And if you go look into the Old Testament for how often he's referred to as a dad, you're just not going to find any. Very, very few references, if any. He was the almighty. He was Yahweh. He was powerful. And Jesus was saying, look, man, here's how I want you to relate to God. He is your dad. And so us as dads, we are for better or for worse, an early picture of God, the father to our kids. And that's either going to accelerate their walk toward God, the father or impede it. So it's an important role to play. And so when you look at Nehemiah, even though he wasn't an earthly dad that we know of, he exhibited these character traits of God, the father, as he led his people, same deal. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't think you have to really put too much, uh, too many parameters around the statement of, in a sense, we're like God to our kids. I mean, yeah, that, that is, that is pretty true, but you know, it's not like people often get stuck in this idea of God being what you just alluded to. He is the almighty. He is all powerful. He is strong and he's sovereign. And so that's how people often view the concept and idea of God. But you get a totally different perspective of that when you read about people who were able to learn from Jesus and they were able Mm. to learn directly about God from God manifest in the flesh. It's just like John writes in his letter, he doesn't write that God is almighty. He doesn't write that God is majestic. In his letter, he writes, God is love. And yeah. if that is what we're supposed to be to our kids, well, I think that's something worth striving for. So um, yeah. Anyway. Okay. I, chapter two sounds pretty good. Chapter five. This is the next one I want to talk about. <laughs> no, skip over chapter two. Chapter one and three, they're great. But chapter two, we just covered it. Just yeah. keep moving. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Just listen to this after you read chapter two, and then you're good to go. Uh, <laughs> chapter precisely. five. Chapter five is asks inf- influential people for help. Talk about why you think that's important. <laughs> Man, I'm a really short guy. I'm five three. And when I get on this topic, it's like I literally want to get up on a soapbox because <laughs> I find so many guys, and this is partly American, partly Western. It's not as true around the world, but it's still pretty true. Um, So many guys who just want to do it themselves and they really believe that they're going to somehow go through life, be a godly husband, be a godly dad, be an effective worker, do serve on that deacon board or as an elder, as a pastor, and they're going to do it all by themselves. And they see asking other people for help as a sign of weakness. Yeah. That is just pathetic theology. Like that is the wrong doctrine. And so if you think that today's the day you can stop thinking that because it's dead wrong. We are built, we are built for community and we are built as Proverbs would tell us, right? There's two kinds of people in the book of Proverbs, the fool and the wise person. And Mm -hmm. the fool doesn't listen to advice. The fool does not ask for instruction. The fool does not respond to rebuke. The fool does not seek out wisdom. But the wise person 
seeks out wisdom. And so as Nehemiah starts to inject himself into the problem, Jerusalem's walls are down and they're under all this shame and they need someone to come back and not just help rebuild the wall, but govern the city. He starts asking influential people for help, starting with the king. Yeah. King Artaxerxes, I'm going to need some lumber. I'm going to need some time off, which turns out to be years, like, like a decade or more. And so he starts asking Artaxerxes these today. things. When he shows up at the city, he starts recruiting all the dads. Hey, man, you and your, your boys, y'all are going to work on this section of the wall. So he starts amassing a group of people around him in order to help achieve the objective. So, dad, if you're listening to this podcast and you're walking through life all alone, number one, you are exposed. You are exposed. You are, you are in danger of being picked off. And secondly, you don't have to, you know, I I have a, I have a friend, Anthony, who is, we have never once been together in the same room ever. And he lives in, you know, 10 time zones away. And we've built a really fun friendship over zoom calls. And back when it was called Skype. Yeah. (laughs) And so that relationship. So my point is today, You have so many tools at your disposal, texting, social media, Zoom calls, Starbucks, whatever your local coffee shop is. Don't walk through life alone. Go find other men to walk along with you and ask them for their help. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I've talked about community a lot. and There's a couple of things that I always like to share on this topic. One is for the person who thinks that you can do it by yourself because you're right. I mean, as men, we do anything cool. We wait for the moment for someone to ask us. Like we, we lead people down this conversation so that they'll pose the question. Wow. So did you have any help? And you're like, nope, I did it myself. Like we can't <laughs> wait to utter those words. It's just like we craft uh, the conversation hilarious. to just build up to this, this denouement of a moment. And then we just drop it. <laughs> Did it myself. Like we, we love that. Um, but what I love is when you read the book of Genesis and you have Adam and he's got all the animals there. And then God says that it's not good for man to be alone. Now, a lot of people typically read that and they think, well, he just had the animals. That's what God was talking about. But God was there. Man had God and God said, this isn't enough. So I know a lot of people like to throw around the expression that me plus God is a majority. Like there's some <laughs> truth to that within context, but the reality sure. is, is God intended you to join up with your other brothers in the faith, your other fathers on this journey of fatherhood to do this thing together. Yeah. And you see that demonstrated throughout the Bible. The, the part that I love the most, I think, is with the story of Elijah. Elijah he has this, I'll condense this for the sake of time, but he, he has this huge triumph over the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. He just makes a mockery of them, kills them. That's the part we typically try to leave out for the kids. Um, and then, <laughs> and then he finds out that Jezebel's out to get him. And so this whole time he's had a servant with him, but when he finds out Jezebel's out to get him, he leaves his servant in Beersheba and he, travels for a day into the wilderness. And it's when he is in in the wilderness alone and isolated that he prays the prayer that we all know so well, God, just go ahead and take me now. I don't have any value. I can't do this. Just go ahead and take me. It's when he's alone and isolated that he has that mentality. And that is what happens to us. 
we like like you talked about you we, we are just putting ourselves almost on the chopping block because we are endangering ourselves by not having other people in our community community is just so helpful i think it's enriching and somehow some way i act like an idiot all the time it's just part of my personality i like to be dumb and so it's kind of wonderful to me to see that somehow some way i'm able to help other people and you see that within community but so often in community you're able to extract strength and guidance and wisdom from other people uh, one of my best buddies in the world i stay in contact with him every week he is 10 years older than i am but it doesn't matter like the decade between us does nothing to our friendship other than it gives me an opportunity to learn from him and in some ways it also allows me the opportunity to teach him a thing or two from time to time. But yes, when it comes to doing life, we have to be willing to share the experiences. I think we get so much more out of life when we don't do it alone. And it's it's like the the common case that we always hear. People get to the end of their life and it's like, you know, what do you regret? I regret not having more relationships. It's always mm. what it is. It's not, I regret not making more money. I regret not that yeah. not doing that particular deal. It's always, I regret not having better relationships. When it's I don't know always when, that. I don't know when somebody's listening to this, but from the date we're recording it, late 2023, not that long ago, the U.S. Surgeon General actually issued a document that said the one of the greatest health threats to our country is loneliness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, what? Uh, and it's like, dude, go read it. Like, go read it's, it. It's a great read. It's and like 80 pages. I will put the fantastic. link because I have read it. <laughs> yep. I will put yep. The it's link fantastic. In the show notes for this. And, and, and the, the abstract is this. If you're lonely, you're in danger. Well, no, yeah. duh, man. No, duh. I mean, Solomon tells us that in the in proverbs you know circa 2000 or 4000 bc like we've known this for thousands of years this is not brand new information right the, the difference is we live in an era when it's easier than ever to connect with other people so yeah. like bro if you're out there all by yourself it's because you've chosen to be and you're in a bad spot let's go right right and i and i know some people always you know we we convince ourselves of lives sometimes and we say to ourselves no one else is having this struggle. Nobody else is dealing with this. I'm the only one because I'm an idiot. And, you know, I, I, I've made these problems and troubles for myself. So no one's going to be able to understand. That is one of the biggest piles of crap there can be. <laughs> Everyone has struggles and trials and seasons that are, um, let's just say, less than good. Uh, yeah. we're, we've, we've all been there. And for people who are trying to say, I just don't know if there's anyone out there that there are always people looking yeah. for other people to connect with. We, my wife and I get together with two other couples and um, it, we have fun. I, I won't go into all the details. I've shared on the podcast before, but we get together to celebrate birthdays. There's only six of us in 12 months out of the year. So uh, in <laughs> August, we celebrated my sister's birthday. She wasn't there, but we had a birthday cake that said happy birthday to my sister. And so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but we do that to get together, to be intentional. But uh, the other night, they had a, a date night at our church where the church will basically give us free babysitting. So it's a wonderful ministry the church has. And um, uh, we, instead of going somewhere else, we stayed at the church, got to a different room, had food, had some games, and made a big poster sign said, if you don't have any plans tonight, just come up here and you know, nice. couples are getting together. And you know, we had people come and join us because people are looking for community. Yeah. So 
yeah. to the dad out there listening who thinks, you know, I, I'm up a creek. There's no one out, else out there. Woe is me. That's not true. It's like what God said to Elijah. He's like, buddy, I've got so many other people who are yeah. in the same situation, but they're not hiding in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> right. So just let, let that be a wake up call. You, you will be so, so much better off in community than being isolated. 100%. For sure. <clears throat> now, I want to ask you this, though. I notice specifically with your wording, it says you ask influential people for help. Um, is there any particular reason you said that? Now, I know within the story of Nehemiah that he goes to King Artaxerxes and he asks this question. Obviously, he's pretty influential. Um, is there anything specific on that that fathers should be aware of? Well, I think there's two things. <clears throat> when I say influential people, I'm not talking about famous people. Sure. Uh, what I'm talking about is everybody you know is influential. Everybody you know. Yep. Because here's what they can do. They can mobilize something in their space you can't. So for mm. example, when I say influential people, yeah, he went to the king. He also went to homeowners whose houses touched the edge of the wall. Well, that guy's not like a mayor. It's not a governor. Yeah. Just some dude lives by the dung gate. Well, awesome. Bubba, you and your boys are going to read because here's the deal. Most guys are trying to accomplish something so pathetically small, they can do it themselves. But if you're trying to accomplish something significant, like stay married to one lady your whole entire life, raise godly children, don't be bankrupt, like whatever, whatever you're, <laughs> you're, uh, <clears throat> or, or, right, or launch that mission or start that business or keep that job or whatever you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to accomplish something small, then you might not need any help. But if you're trying to accomplish something significant, everybody around you can probably help. So as, as uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said it, I love the quote, and I'll get it half 90% right. He said, every man I meet is in some way my superior, and in that I endeavor to learn. Yeah. Then Dale Carnegie repurposed it in How to Infringe Influence People, saying, look, if I went and became a homeless guy overnight, I would need another homeless guy to show me how to live on the streets. Cause even though I'm super rich, I have no clue how to live on the streets. Yeah, so when good. I say influential people, I'm talking about people who know stuff you don't guess who that is. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And so for me as a, as a dude, I was with a guy today, two day, three hours ago, I was having lunch with a guy who um, has been through an upbringing. I never went through. He, he has been through a, a nearly tragic auto accident. I've never had something like that happen. And the whole time we're meeting, I'm thinking, man, this dude could sure teach me a lot. This dude yeah. could sure teach me a lot. And so when I say influential people, I'm just talking about people who know stuff you don't. And that, yeah. quite frankly, is everybody. Yeah. And that's a, that's a powerful perspective for people to have. Because again, as, as men, we, we're problem fixers. We're know-it-alls. We feel too too many times that we have it all figured out. And that, that, that for me was one of the biggest and best lessons that I learned. I learned that I don't know it all, but in fact, there's more out there for me to learn than what I currently know. And when I understood that I can get that, not just from reading a book, not just from watching a video, not just from going to church or to a, a seminar, but I can get that at a table having lunch and Honestly, for me, some of the greatest things that I have learned have happened at the table at lunch with somebody else. Yeah. But just having that open mindedness of, I don't have it all figured out. 
and the person across from me knows stuff that I don't, and there's something that I can learn from them. That's such a good perspective to have. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I asked you that because that, that that's a wonderful point. <laughs> Let's move on to chapter 13. Skip a few. Chapter 13 mobilizes people to use their gifts. Now, I want to hear what you have to say on this, but I also want to hear what you have to say about this in reference to your children. So mm. let's start here. Yeah, I'll, I'll go backward. <clears throat> okay. Your, your kids have, uh, yours, mine, all of our kids have <clears throat> some proclivities they're born with, right? They might be good with numbers or they got good hand-eye coordination. Um, they can hear a tune. They've got perfect pitch, whatever. So they may have some DNA or some inborn skills and those get leveraged for God's kingdom for sure. Also, we're promised several places in scripture when we become believers, God gives us spiritual gifts. Um, there are four places in the New Testament. You can go look them up, easy to Google. Bottom line is <clears throat> he gives us gifts. And the, and the verse that I think kind of sums a lot of this up is First Peter 4.10, whatever gift you've been given, use that gift to serve other people. And you will, manif you will manifest the grace of God in all of its forms. And so different translations say it different ways. But bottom line is when I use my gifts are for you and your gifts are for me, my gifts aren't for me. My gifts are for the kingdom. My gifts are for others. Your gifts are for me. And so if we can help our kids understand that, that, like, what are you bent toward? What, what do you understand? Like I'll use my oldest son as an example, just cause he comes to mind easily. Um, he has worked really hard at the craft of playing music. Um, really good guitar player doing a lot of gigs these days, making a living, you know, he, he's hustling in the music business from an early age. He was really good at that. Now it's not like he was born with the ability to do chord progressions and understand music sure. theory. He had to go learn all that. And he's practiced right. probably he's got, you know, a thousand of his 10,000 hours already in, right? He's practiced a lot. So I don't want to take away the practice element. Having said that, he's got a really sharp mind. He can catch on to things quick and he can move his hands right. And he understands music theory, which every time he tries to explain music theory to me, I just, my eyes glaze <laughs> over and I'm like, what are you talking to me? Like, I don't understand yeah. what he's talking about. <laughs> right. And so for us as dads, um, what I want to do, like the Proverbs 22, six, everybody trots that one out over and over, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. And there's this idea that it's the way he should go. It's the way he's bent, the way he's wired. And so for me, I want to be sensitive to both the wiring that my kids came out of the womb with. Uh, I also want to be sensitive to how is God leading them and what's he giving them kind of after their salvation moment. And I'm not trying to get in all theology, but at some point, <laughs> at some point, at some point, the Holy Spirit says, man, well, look at the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus. They're going to build the tabernacle. And God says, I have given certain people skill with like yep. weaving and hammering gold. <laughs> and you're like, really? Yeah. Yep. Why? So they can just go make money and create jewelry. Oh, fine. Yep. That's not bad, but no. So they could build the tabernacle. So they could right. build the tabernacle. So he wired in people certain proclivities and tendencies, uh, whether it was from birth or at their, at the moment, the Holy spirit came inside them. Bottom line is we want to, I want to, I want to, and I want to encourage a dad listening. I want to help my children understand their giftedness and leverage it 
for other people. And we just see Nehemiah doing this in some simple ways, but we also see it in some more complex ways. After they rebuilt the wall, they had a big worship service. If you go read and you'll see this cat Asaph, who's mentioned a lot in the Old Testament. Asaph was like the worship leader and they Mm -hmm. had a big worship concert. Well, Nehemiah was like, hey, let's have Asaph lead the worship concert. Now, why is that? Because Asaph evidently had some kind of skill with songwriting or group worship leading or something, playing the liar, who knows? Uh, Ezra would come out and read the scripture. Could Nehemiah not read? No, Nehemiah could read fine, but Ezra was really good at reading. And so there were, as Nehemiah went around and said, hey man, you're good at that. Won't, won't you do that? And so for us as dads, I want to do that in my like, network, like on the board of our ministry and, you know, guys who write books and stuff. I, I want to encourage people to use their gifts, but man, in my own family, I really, really want to encourage my kids to use their gifts. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's such a good thing. Um, I, a lot of fathers fall into this trap of trying to almost live vicariously through their children. Like, oh man, I was almost pro. I'm going to train up my kid. And he's he's going to make it. And I could have like, been somebody. Right. It's like, I'm going to be somebody because he's somebody. It's just like, no, that's not how it works. He's somebody and you're still the nobody that you're mad about. It's like that, that doesn't change the situation. Um, but I think that that's so good not to try and just like force them into this mold that they don't fit into, um, but rather to, acknowledge and to identify the gifts. Now, uh, I, I know with, with Nehemiah, with, with uh, the examples you gave of Ezra and Asaph, it's kind of an obvious thing. Like I can spot these in people, I can see them. Um, you can look at someone's qualities. I remember somebody one time told me, he was like, if you want to build an organization, he said the way you do it is you write down their name on one side of the piece of paper and on the other side, you write down their qualities, you write down their giftings. He said, and then you turn everything over to where you don't see the names and then you put the giftings in the positions that you'd want those giftings in. I was just like, hey, that's a real, he said, then you flip it over and then you're like, wow, so I'm going to put them there. And I thought I was going to put that person. He's like, so he was like, do it that way. He said, it'll be a real eye opener. Um, But I'm curious. Uh, from the fatherhood perspective, you're much further down the line than I am. And you've got, you know, a couple more kids than I do. Um, is there anything else to identifying the giftings in your kids other than just paying attention? Is there anything mm. outside mm. of that? Well, um, that's, that's a, it's not a loaded question, but man, I have a loaded answer, but I'm going to, I'm trying okay. to pare it down. Try to pare it Drop down. Drop it on me. Um, <clears throat> It's one thing to encourage our children at the things they succeed at in the way they succeeded, right? So for example, your kid makes the game-winning shot. Way to go, Billy. Game-winning shot. So, okay, I'm not saying don't encourage your children when he makes the game-winning shot. What I am saying is, if I go back a month, my eight-year-old was playing in a church soccer league. And at one point, I saw um, one of the other kids on his own team got kicked in the shin or something and kind of went down for a second. And my son, who loves playing soccer and is pretty decent, and he chases the ball all the time, he quit chasing the ball, and he went and helped his teammate get up, had his arm around him, like checking on him, you good, you okay? And then he went and chased the ball. It was like five seconds, ten seconds. I'm glad I saw it because at the end of the game, I just said, hey, Titus, I saw what you did when that player of yours got hurt. That really shows how much you care for other people. Hmm. So what I was doing in that moment was not just noticing, hey, way to kick the ball. Way to score the goal. I was trying to notice something about his character and about yeah. his wiring. Um, even when my, I can think of one of my other sons who was on the bench and he was so animated in supporting his team from the bench. 
So after the game, I'm like, hey, man, I saw how you cheered your team on. That says a lot about how much you care that you want to encourage people and you don't care if you make the basket as long as your team does well. Way to go. So like as dads, yeah, we want to encourage their skill. Nice job with that spreadsheet, kid, or way way to play the guitar, Billy. Like, sure, sure. But what I think is maybe deeper and more interesting is like if my son was really good at a particular part of music, it's because he trained for months. Yeah. So what I want to talk about is the character quality it took to train for months rather than just nice job playing that song. Um, so he just released his first song, my oldest, and it'd be on Spotify in a couple of days. And what I want to encourage him with is not just, Hey, cool song, nice words, way to go. You know, good discipline, getting it all done. What I want to encourage him with is, Hey man, you really, you're willing to put yourself out there. You're willing to take some risks and let your music be heard by people. And that takes guts, man. Way to go. Like I want to encourage the character because that's the stuff that I find has lasting effect as a dad, as opposed to encouraging the skill. Yeah, I think that's really good. There's two things that came to mind while you were while you were sharing that. Uh, one is I think that's what disciplining or discipling is. I think this is something that we we haven't been taught very well on what it is to discipline our kids, and I think it's a tragedy that every time the topic of discipline comes up with parents, that it always ends in a debate about whether or not I should spank my child because. <laughs> Like, I mean, that's, that's a very small thing in this vast umbrella of discipline. I think if you look at what Jesus does and how he leads and how he's, and how he disciples his followers, he's not trying to nitpick. He didn't come to condemn. He's not always saying this is bad and this is wrong and don't do that and shame on you for doing that. He's always (laughs) pointing to the good. He's always looking at what they're doing and saying, this is good. Or look at this example. This is good from this. Like, I want you to see the good. And so you know, kudos to you for truly disciplining and discipling your kids in that and identifying and building on the good qualities and the good traits. Uh, and the other thing is, is taking the time to actually think about it and to see mm. it. Um, so mm. this is, this is something that I think, um, in Christian circles, I had this thought the other day, so I'll, I'll put it within this context of, uh, Christianity, Christianity and theology, we often thank God for the result, but we don't always think about what God did to make it happen. Um, we're just thankful that he did it and we move on. So I think specifically about uh, the battle that Joshua is in and the prayer is that God would keep the sun in place. Like, God, if you could just hold the sun in the sky because we need more daylight in order to win this battle. Well, and that's what happens. And people read that and like, wow, that's really cool. But today it's like we can think about that and we can realize that God didn't just hold the sun in place. Because mm. that's not how it works. The sun doesn't move. It's the earth that yeah. rotates, and it's the earth that revolves in tandem with the rest of the planets in the solar system. And so what God did is God held all of creation in place mm. in order to answer that prayer. Like, yeah. that's a much bigger thing than <laughs> I'll just hold the sun here. No, God held everything. My, my friend had a book. I wish I could remember the title and who wrote it, but there was a scientist who took on questions, oddball questions from people, and he did his best to answer them scientifically. And one of the questions was, what would happen if the earth stopped rotating just all of a sudden, just came to a halt? And essentially the answer was in a matter of seconds, because of the inertia of the surface, it would just basically annihilate itself Mm. just super quick. And so the fact that that didn't happen, and the sun stayed in its place, well, 
God didn't just hold the sun. God held the earth. God held the universe. And he did it to answer the prayer of his child. And so I think when we actually take the time to analyze and interpret what is going on, we have a deeper appreciation. We can actually pinpoint the things that we can appreciate. We can actually say, mm. God, I'm thankful that you did this. And as fathers, we can look at our kids and be like, like, like you said, like, yeah, you learned this song, but you spent months on that. Like you dedicated yourself day mm. and night. You weren't pushed to do it. Like you had the resiliency and you had the discipline to get the mm. job done. Like that is admirable. So uh, I, I think I think those are good things. Those are good things for me to keep in mind because I know that as my kids continue to grow and, and I continue to see their giftings manifest themselves in different ways, uh, it's just good to always keep those things on tap in a sense where you're always mm. mindful of that because fatherhood is a big job. And so there's a lot of things to always be mindful of. And that's why it's great to have conversations like this to where these these topics, and these points get brought up again and again and again. I want to talk about one more chapter from the book. Chapter 26, Purifies His Home from Evil. Uh, I'm curious where you go with this one. Take it away. <laughs> well, what's funny <laughs> is if you look at what, <clears throat> if, you can, if you can go with me on the metaphor that Nehemiah is to Jerusalem like dad is to a home. So you gotta, you kind of got to get there because it's like that's his family. That's his people. That's the people yep. that he's leading. So if you look at it that way and you kind of look, Nehemiah is the dad of Jerusalem and you're the dad of your home. Uh, man, Nehemiah was a butt kicker. Like there is a moment where he pulls a guy's hair out. There's a moment right. where he shuts the door to the city and he goes outside and says, if you people keep coming on the Sabbath, I'm going to wear you out. Like he is yep. no joke, man. There are moments in Nehemiah where I'm like, yeah, you know, go get him. Uh, <laughs> And there's a time when they're like using the temple to store stuff. And like, he just finally walks in and goes, Hey, time out. No, 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 no. Get all this crap out of the temple. No, no, that is not belonging here. And when he found pockets, either pockets of ignorance, pockets of idolatry, pockets of dissension, he cast it out. He was like, no, we're not having that in our family. And he was adamant about that sort of stuff. And so for us as dads, it's so easy these days to have um, things that are evil in and around your children, whether it's technology or other people or friends or whatever that is. Um, I, I think that it is imperative that dads have their guard up, especially in the area of technology. I mean, if you're giving a 14 year old a phone with no filter and all that, bro, you, you deserve what you get at 18. Sorry. You're just going to not like that outcome. I'm telling yep. you, you are not going to yep. like that outcome. Um, <clears throat> and I, and I think for us, the essence of it is we want to be different. We want to be different. We are a Royal priesthood. We are a chosen race. And as such, I don't want to look just like the culture. And I'm not just yeah. talking about, we don't trick or treat on Halloween. I'm not just talking about like, you know, I'm going to, everybody says happy holidays. I'm going to go, Merry Christmas. Gotcha. Right. You know, come on. What I'm saying <laughs> is in my own home, what's going on around my home in terms of how much evil am I letting just kind of float through the airwaves around my home? And mm -hmm. if you look at Nehemiah's example, he just was militant, man. He was really militant. He reinstated a ton of biblical things. He went back to biblical wisdom. He looked at the records of the past governors and said, what have we forgotten? He wanted to rid 
the, the town of Jerusalem and the wider nation of Israel, he wanted to rid it of as much evil as he possibly could. And in yeah. doing that, you know, he found a lot of really smart decisions and a lot of people he had to go to battle with. And if you're a dad of an eight-year-old kid, you know, hey, right now, it's pretty easy to control. When they're 17, it's going to be harder. And so they're going to need an internal beacon, a system inside themselves, the Holy Spirit primarily, but your wisdom and guidance, right? If you look at Proverbs, it says instructions that you should pay attention to <laughs> from a father to his child. It is basically the whole book of Proverbs. And so at, for us as dads, for us as dads, are we full are we full of God's words and God's wisdom? And are we pouring that out into our families so that it can be part of a defense against evil in their lives? I sure hope so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really good. I, I, that always makes me think when, when, when I, when I saw this and if you talk about it, it reminds me of, I, I feel like there's a shift kind of in the culture. So the old school moms and dads, I remember before, we got to watch anything. It was just like mom and dad's already watched it. They already know. But today you hear people complain of like, I can't believe they'd make a movie like this. I walked into the room. My kid was watching this. It's just like, well, where were you? <laughs> like, that's not, that's not the industry's <laughs> fault. Like, do you really trust, do you really trust Hollywood and these big entertainment industries to just make stuff that's going to be perfect for your, your Christian family? Like probably not. So the, you, you have this responsibility <laughs> Uh, to to guard your home and to take care yeah. of these things, and so um, I, th I think I think that's good. And the wisdom literature, yeah, can oftentimes come across a little bit harsh. Uh, it's like you read Psalms and it's just like, holy smokes! Like, do I really have to do that? And like, it's it, there's a poetic nature to it. Like, you have to understand how to read the genre, but just having that disdain for the wickedness and the evil and saying like. It, we don't tolerate it. Like there's not going to yeah. be a gray area where it's just like, eh, we'll play with this a little bit and see what happens. Yeah. It's just like, no, we're, we're just not going to allow it. Especially as Christian fathers. Um, it, I, I feel like it's really difficult to say, yeah, this is a Christian home, but we've got all these other things. Mm, right. I, I just, I just think as, as fathers, as Christian dads specifically, that's something that we have to be mindful of. Mm. So let's do this. We've covered, let me see four chapters in the book. Is there anything else in the book or even outside of the book that's just been on your heart as of recent that you would like to share with dads? Man, I would share one Bible verse, and that's Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in doing well, hmm. uh, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And I just want to encourage the dad. I don't care what you do for a job. I don't care. It's not as significant as the work you're doing in your marriage and the work you're doing as a dad. And you may be That's divorced right. and that ship has sailed and you can still double down on your kids. There's lots of uh, grace for whatever situation you find yourself in. What I want to tell you, though, is for the vast majority of dads who have some kids in the home, they're listening to this podcast, they have a wife, they want to do it right. Um, you will not feel like most days are productive or fruitful but you will realize over time that there's a harvest you reap. If you just don't give up, just don't give yep. up. And it doesn't mean your kids will turn out perfect. You know, God yep. was perfect and his kids rebelled. So don't fall into the perfect parent trap. Um, yep. However, however, you will be able to say to God, man, I, 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 I cared for those that you gave me just like Jesus said, Jesus said, I, I didn't lose any of those you gave me. 
you gave me. And so, well, you know, we, we know what that means. And so for me as a dad, I just want to encourage a dad listening. Do not give up in due yeah. time. You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Yeah, that's, that's sound, that's sound wisdom. Um, it's, it's those baby steps. It's that little process. We're, we're so prone in our culture today to just seek and gravitate toward instant gratification. And when it comes to the home and it comes to fatherhood, that we, we just absolutely cannot be that way. There will be lessons that we have to teach over and over and over again, and there's <laughs> redundancy to it. Um, but there is a harvest that comes at the end of that. I, in, in, in a small way, I got a, a taste of that just the other night. So I'm a huge proponent of communication with kids. And the way that I understand communication is it involves me being vulnerable and transparent and sharing some things. And what that displays to my children is that I trust them. And I have found that when they see that I trust them, they reciprocate that back to me. And trust is exchanged. It is established and it becomes a foundation for relationship. So I was talking to my son in the car and I was talking to him about work and life situations. And I said, buddy, I said, I'm kind of at a point where I don't really know what to do. I said, I'm thinking that I need to do this. I'm thinking that this solution would be really good. I said, so whenever you have time, whenever you pray, just help me pray for that and remember that. And he said, okay. And we're driving. And I promise you, it was two or three minutes later. And you know, it's not always, I, I will be honest. While I do believe that as a Christian father, that we should every single day be in God's word, and spend time in prayer, and that we should spend time teaching our kids. I mean, that is the instruction that we are given in Deuteronomy 6. I mean, this is the Shema. It's just like you talk about it all the time. You teach your kids every single day. I fall short of that. I will confess. Um, but I did that, and three about three minutes later, I hear my son in the back. He's just mumbling pieces of what we talked about, and I just hear him kind of under his breath, Jesus this and Jesus that. And I'm just, I was so touched because I was just like, you know, I probably haven't been the greatest example that I could be of prayer. Like I probably could have prayed with him more than I have. The fact that he's learned this, the fact that he's picked this up, uh, it's touching. So yeah, you don't have to be perfect. Like you said, don't yeah. fall within that perfect parenthood trap. That That's not attainable and there's no mold for that. Um, but just keep going. It's you keep going. And then at some point you look back and you see how far you've come and it's astounding. So yeah, Galatians six, nine, beautiful, beautiful piece of advice. Now I do, I do want to do this. I know you kind of gave a piece of advice, but I always like to ask dads this specific question. You're a father of five boys, been married for 28 years. What is the best piece of advice that you'd give to dads? Always put the toilet seat down for your wife. <laughs> that one will never leave you or forsake you. <laughs> I bet that was a strong principle in your home too. That's, I mean, I mean, it's, it's key, bro. It's key. Uh, kidding aside. Um, the thing I love to encourage dads most with, that's the central, and I don't know if I'd call it a piece of advice, but it's just an exhortation is, um, I have yet to find the dad, myself included, who knows God's word too good. Yeah. 
uh, he just is over read up and he's over memorized and he has over absorbed God's word. Uh, in fact, I find kind of the opposite for the most part, dads are spiritually malnourished and they are thirsty and they're walking around with a mouthful of sand when it comes to knowing God's word. And so I would just say it's three simple words, man, know God's word, uh, yeah. know God's word. It, it, promises to do certain things in our life that only it can do. And those things you will find will make you the most wise husband you can be imperfectly and flawed, make you the most wise father you can be imperfect and flawed. It will lead you to be able to apologize when you're a jerk, like every Tuesday, like it, it will lead you <clears throat> to do the things you need to do. So like the master key for me, um, is knowing God's word. And I don't, I don't know it as well as I want, right? I mean, it's not about just knowing it, like to know it, it's about knowing it. So it knows me. It's about right. knowing it so that I know who God is and I know what his character's like. Um, because the older I get, the more I realize that is probably the, one of the single greatest epidemics across Christian dads is they don't understand God. And they don't understand his word. Um, yep. cause it, it does what it says it's going to do. And so I would just encourage a dad, man, hey, go know God's word. And if, and if, and if you feel like you overknow it, uh, then you can stop. But that day won't come. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if you ever, for whatever reason, feel like you do overknow it, um, I promise you, there is coming a day where you will realize that you don't know a single thing <laughs> and you will have to start over. Um, but yeah, that's, that's such um, sage counsel. Know God's word. Um, I can't add anything to that because that's that's the number one thing to do as fathers. If you want to be a better father, if you want to be a better husband, if you want to be a better Christian, if you want to be a better businessman, whatever you want to be better at, whatever you want to excel at, know God's word and God's word will give you guidance. Uh, Kent, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Same, um, bro. It has, it has been wonderful. I'd like you to take an opportunity, though, and let everyone know how they can learn more about you, Manhood Journey, and how and where they can get your book, Bring Your Hammer. Yeah, if you're a dad looking for resources on how to disciple your kids, boys and girls, uh, we have a bunch of free stuff at our website. Come by manhoodjourney.org. That's manhoodjourney.org. And our books and all that are available there, but also uh, you can get all of our books on Amazon. Uh, so go snag Bring Your Hammer on Amazon if you thought these four chapters were worth listening to. The other 24 are even better. No, I'm just kidding. There you go. <laughs> uh, they're, no, they're no better. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's an honor to be with you, Anthony. I love what you're doing. I love your show. I've listened to several episodes and am a fan, a recent fan of what you're doing. Keep up the good work, man, please. We need more guys with their hands on the fatherhood plow. And uh, we're here to support you any way we can. Well, dads, we have our work cut out for us. Fatherhood is a journey. It's an adventure. And a lot of the times it's not super easy, but fortunately we don't have to do it alone. We can do it in community. We can do it together. And together, that's when we better father our future. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I hope and pray that you did too. Be sure to go check out manhoodjourney.org. Check out all the links in the description so that you can read some of the stuff that was discussed. You can check out the book, Bring Your Hammer, and you can equip yourself as a father. Thank you so much for being with me. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I hope you will join me next time.
Thank you again for listening to Fathering Our Future. If this episode has served you or you believe it will serve another dad in the future, make sure that you leave a like, a comment, a review, or share this so that it can reach another dad. And so that you don't miss out on another episode, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, for more great content, head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com.